Hi, I'm Mahdi Parnu, and I today I have Lilith Garibian and Asia Koreka um, today with me for this episode of the JCSW podcast. Um, Lilith, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, thank you so much for having us on this podcast, and thank you for putting this together. Uh, so I'm Lilith Garibian. I'm a physician, scientist, innovator, and a board-certified dermatologist working at a Mass General Wellman Center for Photomedicine. I see patients, and I also do uh, translational research to solve unmet needs um, in medicine and bring new therapies to patients. And I'm really excited to talk about my passion in innovation and translational research here. And I'm also the co-chair of the JCSW Community Engagement Committee. Asia, what about you? Do you want to introduce yourself as well? Hi, I'm Asha Koretska. Uh, I'm an instructor at the neurology department at Brigham Women's Hospital. I, my focus and my research is Parkinson disease and other genetic neurodegenerative diseases. And I, uh, throughout my work and my many years, I've been focusing on therapy development, specifically on gene therapies. Uh, but recently, I've actually pivoted also to neuroimmunology and actually connecting these two fields with um, therapeutic development and immunology through microbiome, the impact of microbiome on, on neurodevelopment. It's been a great ride at Brigham. I uh, actually came to Longwood only a few years ago, and uh, it's, it's the translational impact here has been really um, something that keeps me but is very passionate to me since we actually have patients downstairs and we do research on stem cell based research on the stem cells from these patients upstairs in our lab so that's been a really uh, an amazing adventure um, I've been an active member of GCSW for about five years I believe now and uh, I have joined the development career development committee for four years, and now I'm a co-chair of the community engagement at the uh, GCSW. It's been a real pleasure and honor to, to work with the wonderful women here and promoting the values of equity, diversity in our work, but also in healthcare. And that's something that I actually have been really looking into a lot more, especially since my field of gene therapies is quite a question of uh, to be actually equitable for everyone as quite expensive at this point, whereas the question of that being available to all people and, and gene therapies being very successful therapies, if applied well, that these can actually, people can reach them out. So that's something that I'm, I'm quite thinking a lot about while doing research at the bench. Okay, great. Thanks. So you both have great backgrounds, sort of interesting research areas. Lilith, so I and both of you talked about translational research as well. Um, so I'm a project manager at Harvard Catalyst. So obviously for me, translational research is um, very important for the people that we work with. So Lilith, do you want to talk about what part of that that you really enjoy? And, you know, we are also interested in innovation as well. And, you know, it's sort of like looking at problem from a different perspective as well is, is something that our program is interested in as well. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I think that's something that I learned along the way within Harvard. So I came to Harvard in 2002 as a MD-PhD student. And my PhD was in immunology. You know, I've been in academia my entire life. And early on, you know, in academia, 
there was this sense that sort of uh, commercialization and working with industry is sort of like the dark and evil side and true academicians really stay away from that. But it wasn't until I started my postdoc with Dr. Rox Anderson at Wellman Center for Oral Medicine that I learned the true value of sort of innovation and commercialization and what that really meant. You know, what I learned was that research and invention matters much more if it makes a difference for the patient. And if you're able to commercialize your research, your invention, and bring it to the patients. Because if you think about it, invention is really an idea or technology, right? An idea alone is not valuable if you can't find a way to bring that to a patient. And to do that, you really have to work with industry to commercialize that idea and bring it to market because that's when it really adds value to patients. And as a physician scientist, that has always been my dream. You know, I always wanted to invent something or discover something that then I could bring to patients and see them benefit from it because that truly encompasses what like the mission of being physician scientist is. And what happened is like during my postdoc, I wanted to understand a side effect from a therapy because I thought if we could figure out the mechanism of, for example, how prolonged cooling is affecting cutaneous nerves, then we could develop a better therapy with cooling to use this as a method of treating pain and itch, which I knew affected many patients with skin diseases. Um, And that's why I joined this lab to sort of understand that. And in the process, I learned what it really takes to kind of take an idea or a problem from conception all the way to developing proof of concept, IP, intellectual property, and then spinning it out into a startup company to actually develop a commercial product. And that had a profound impact on me, like being involved in that entire process and learning it and being part of it. And that led me to actually start an initiative called the Magic Wand Initiative to try to teach this for other clinicians, because I think we're Things have changed a lot since 2002, but I think when I was a student at Harvard doing the MD and PhD, we didn't really teach that to our students. And I do think that in academia, we really have this responsibility now to forge a more collaborative biomedical community dedicated to improving the lives of the patients by developing collaboration, right, between industry, academia, and all the other key players so we could work collaboratively to commercialize some of our inventions and our ideas so we could more efficiently and effectively bring them to the patients. And that's what I'm really passionate about, you know, like finding out ways of how we do that effectively where we each have our mutual goals and responsibilities and we each play our own best roles. Okay, great. That sounds so interesting. And I'd love to hear more about this Magic Wand initiative as well. But so Asia, what about you? I mean, I heard that you, you've gone from sort of neuroimmunology, which Lilla, I gather your PhD is in immunology as well. And for me, immunology was the thing that made my eyes glaze over. I think it was like something where, so you've gone from sort of neuroimmunology, you looked at the microbiome, which a few years ago we did a microbiome pilot grant initiative as well. So um, all of that was very interesting. And and so then now you're moving, you're moving on to this sub-gene therapy in Parkinson's. And I'm just kind of interested as how 
you moved from in that direction? How did that happen? Yeah, no, this is a good <laughs> so I still wonder how, how these things happen. So I've been uh, always focused on neurodegeneration and I did my PhD in Parkinson's disease, gene therapy as kind of um, as, as an aspect to look at it. I studied actually, actually axon regeneration and axon guidance. Uh, and we were thinking, because I, I came from a lab that focused on spinal cord regeneration. And there are some signals in Parkinson's disease that uh, seem to also impact the axon growth. So we thought if we can manipulate those, can, can that be beneficial as well through gene therapy? And then uh, I came to here to Boston, to McLean Hospital, to learn um, a little bit new modeling of Parkinson's disease by using stem cell-derived uh, neurons from patients with this new technology that uh, received a Nobel Prize a few years ago. You can actually take uh, skin cells from patients and derive, make stem cells out of them, and then we can actually make any cell we want. So this is very exciting technology for neurodegenerative diseases, especially because, of course, we cannot get biopsies of brains from patients. So this way we can actually look at their neurons in a dish. Right. People don't generally want to give up a piece of their brain. Yeah, so it's hard. It's hard to study. It's hard to study in a patient that that still needs the treatments and still very often still needs the diagnosis. So that's 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 the problem in in our field a little bit. Sometimes the true diagnosis comes after the patient passes away when they, we do autopsies of their brains to finally say, okay, so this indeed was Parkinson's or Alzheimer's because we can now finally look at their neurons. And so and through it here um, with this new technology, we can of course finally study their cells and study what happens with these cells a lot earlier so that that was fantastic that's that part of the translation that for me was very attractive i used to work with and i still do with uh, in vivo animal models but now i have this patient model a patient and then uh, by learning this technique at mclean hospital at dr ola isaacson's lab I, a few years, trans went to here to Brigham, a women's hospital, to the neurology department, because what really very much attracted me is that connection between clinic that we have downstairs to our labs at the top. Uh, and so Dr. Vikram Kurama, the PI that I work with now, he sees patients every week on Friday. And the same patients we have upstairs, we have we have their stem cells and we have their neurons growing. So it's just that, that idea of this translation and and these patients actually wanting to be part of our studies and, and, and volunteering for that and, and wanting to be involved is really something that got me tick, you know, like it got me really excited. And I actually work now on a, so Lilith was talking about commercialization of products, uh, development, uh, IP and commercialization of products for uh, patients, a uh, large number of patients. I actually work a little bit on the other side as well, is actually personalized medicine. And gene therapies for N of one or N of more, but meaning N of few. Um, and so in collaboration with Dr. Timothy Yu at Boston Children's Hospital, we're actually working on developing uh, gene therapies for, for very few patients, which are affected by ultra rare diseases. And so this is a market that still recently companies were not interested in producing treatments for these patients. A, very difficult, very hard to understand. No one really knows mechanisms are these because there's not much research about it. And then drug development is very costly. And if you don't have the good biological basis, which we don't because we're such ultra-rare diseases that so not few people only study, then 
developing a drug is also hard to then go through, uh, you know, a, a company-based kind of cost-benefit uh, process. And so Dr. Timothy Yu actually um, started basically a program where uh, he, he develops antisensitive nucleotide-based treatments for N of 1, N of few, uh, where for really specific patients looking at their gene mutation and designing gene therapies for them. I worked on this type of gene therapies for Parkinson's disease, where we also licensed, uh, I made an IP. It was uh, actually a very interesting project. So this connection now where uh, Dr. Yu's lab and uh, Dr. Kuyana's lab, where I actually have stem cell page, uh, cells from this patient, that we are at the same time developing gene therapies. So I can now validate this gene therapy on his neurons in a dish before we actually go into clinic. And this is, to me, extremely important because it also not only validates the treatment, but also it de-risks the treatment. Because gene therapies are very successful, but there's also a very, um, there's recently been some shade coming over because there were some problems with uh, safety. And so actually what we're really focusing on now using these stem cell human patient tools is to actually de-risk these treatments. So see, because we can study them for a long term. So what is happening with this neuron that we gave the gene therapy? Because, you know, acute toxicity is one, but also long-term toxicity is another. Is there an effect? And that's something that we've been really, have been really involved with and very, very strong, passionate about at that because uh, I think that will, that's the next step that the, the field needs to go. Um, not only animal models, which I, I think... In the way they they add very much, but we still need a human system before we actually inject this gene therapy that can have consequence for the rest of the lives, right? It's not a drug that you add one pill and you need to take another one uh, because you know the drug is being screened. No, it's it's uh, it's it's a long term process. So one of the things that that I have noticed and just hearing the two of you speak is is that with the JCSW that I have found is that. You know, I get to meet people I would no normally have never met before. I mean, I, I wonder if uh, both of you could sort of speak about that aspect of the JCSW and what what that means as well for, for both of you, for your careers or, or you know, and just in general. Thank you. Um, so you make a very good point. And I think Harvard is a very large place. I didn't meet my PhD, uh, my postdoc mentor while I was here for the first 10 years. I met him during like residency interviews for dermatology. And I think, you know, we can do better job in connecting people, getting to know each other and then becoming an asset or resource for one another. Uh, and that's what I love about JCSW, because every time I come there, I meet new people and I make new connections. And uh, that's what kind of promoted me to become engaged with this committee, because I do think we have so many amazing scientists, amazing clinicians, amazing administrators, and just female leaders all across. But we don't have the opportunities to sort of meet them because we're all so busy with our own careers and our own work. And we're also spread out within the campus. Um, so I think kind of creating engagements, creating lectures, networking events, whatever it might be, even this podcast, I mean, for us to be able to learn about each other and how we could help each other is very critical. I mean, I've seen that work so well with this Magic One initiative that we're doing. Our goal is to really promote clinicians to 
engage in problem-based innovations because clinicians are in the forefront of patient care. They have the front row seats for what the clinical problems are that affect patients. Patients come and tell them, yet they're never sort of given the opportunity or they've never been able to make the connections and get in touch with the resources and the know-how to work on solving those problems, right? But they exist because we're in this amazing research community. It's just that nobody has taken the time to facilitate and bring those connections. And we've been able to do this successfully with our program where we ask the clinicians to identify the problems and make a 10-minute presentation just about the facts of the problem. No solutions. We just want you to tell us what the problem is. And I arranged for them to come and do that presentation in front of engineers, scientists, researchers, PIs who like were so fascinated by listening to what the problems are and they're not exposed to it because they don't take care of patients. And that organically created this amazing collaboration between the clinicians and the scientists to work together on the unmet need because the clinician knows the problem. They know how to test it in patients. They know how what it needs to be to be successful in clinic, and the researchers have the tools and the know-how. It's just creating that opportunity to engage them both together. And I kind of see that parallel in the JCW community engagement too. It's like, you know, how do we bring people together where we can both help each other? Like we could both share, okay, what are our uh, assets? What are our resources? And how can we work together in a way that we both benefit and help each other, right, by sharing our capabilities. So uh, we hope that this year, you know, with Michaela and Asia, like we work on trying to create opportunities like that for engaging women all across Harvard, engaging community people and how we could help people outside of Harvard too, and connecting them to become resources and assets for one another. Yeah, that's great. Maybe Asia, what about you? What have you found in terms of, you know, the networking, other opportunities that the JCSW has given? Yeah, so I, when I became faculty, I wanted to get involved uh, with the community. I, I was at McLean Hospital, which was beautiful, but I felt I wanted to also look a little bit outside. And so I started asking around, what are the opportunities for women faculty at the Harvard Medical School to 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 meet people, to get inspired, to to learn new things, and to also make a difference. And then I was introduced to JCSW, uh, which I went to the first meeting, and I was like, "That's it. <laughs> this is this is where I want to be." I was so impressed and inspired by the diversity of the group, uh, with pretty much every type of research position, staff, faculty there at different levels of their careers. Uh, people like me who just starting and people who've been around for a while and just know ins and outs of everything. And yet everyone just being there on equal terms and discussing the microphone was being passed around to everyone who just had something to say. Uh, and actually the first session was about um, uh, the unconscious bias in at workplace. And I was, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what me and my friends, we come from an international background with many different nationalities. We get exposed to all the time. You know, I'm Polish and sometimes I get, you know, extra checkup at the airport uh, just because of my last name. I have friends who are, you know, from different skin tones, skin colors. We all have different stories about 
about, you know, do you want to put your picture on the CV or not? Those kind of questions that come up all the time. And so that first session to me was, wow, this is really a place where I can hear, I can learn, and I can be listened to. Um, so one thing that JCSW just taught me a lot, um, it taught me a lot about thinking about uh, our community in a way where we are all part of one and we can all contribute. Uh, it also, you know, there was another session which I thought was initially like, wow, that's kind of crazy, but it was about financing and women, how we need to finance better. And I came in kind of going like, yeah, this is going to be interesting. And it turned out to be super, super good for me because yes, it was eye-opening that, you know, also the statistics he presented were just like eye-opening. And, and you know, so then I talked with my husband, like, I think we need to kind of think about this more. And, and I, I've learned a lot uh, and about leadership uh, and how we can be women leaders who are compassionate, who are powerful, and who are understanding and making a difference for everyone. And I think that that's something that this year, especially, we are really trying to dig into as well, as to how can we be good leaders in today's world, in today's very fast-paced world. And I think I'm very, very looking forward to that. And so this this diversity that we have of everyone from so many different places and work and experiences is something that really speaks to me. And so I've been uh, at the, uh, involved with the career development uh, subcommittee, which was really great. And we, we've done a lot of cool projects, especially during COVID. We really took a kind of an initiative to like, how can we still develop career as women who do get impacted by children staying at home more because of COVID? And unfortunately, the statistics has shown that there is, there is, that there was a impact of that on our career development and so that's actually something i'm very passionate as well is how to be a successful a successful working mom that's something that i actually i talk a lot to people about and uh, something that's not you know we don't get courses about that but maybe we should <laughs> no i think that there's some kind of secret formula that somebody somewhere needs to come up with um lila tell me i'm gonna just take off the from your, the name of your initiative, like you need, we need a magic wand. But for that side of things, um, one of the things that I was interested to hear about is like for you, who or and what aspects of the best leaders that you have met and what are their, what are the things that you've taken away that you could use in your everyday work and life? And I actually have three examples i've been to i mean gcsw is giving us many opportunities to listen to fantastic leaders i mean many of us are leaders and so just talking to them so it's always so inspiring but i always find it also like these these inspiring talks are wonderful and you get really pumped up about it and then you go home or you go to work and you're like okay what now <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm excited but where do I start? And so actually, there were a few things that uh, I, I, I'm a more of a practical person. And someone told me once, get it cleaner so that you don't need to do that cleaning that takes a bunch of your time as a working mom, which sometimes you don't have. And that changed my life because I'm like, okay, that I don't need to think about anymore. Another thing was if you are stressed and uh, stuff is not happening, don't try not to put that on others just because things are not working out in your head. You know, other people are doing great. And so that's something that I'm really working on. Uh, that the day has 24 hours only. <laughs> so we do have to pack everything in but that's a lesson that i i've learned recently and i and that makes me a better leader 
always trying to put myself back when, uh, when you know when I'm like so compressed with my own thoughts. Uh, that's a hard one though, because you know when you're in that mode, then you're just in that mode, and you're like, ah, I just need to get stuff done and don't get in my way, and and like people come to you with problems, and of course you like you want to help, but you need to be in a good space for that. And the third one is the the is it the sandwich I think t- technique. Someone told me. You know, when you want to talk as a, because I, I have a managerial leadership role, people come to me and there's issues. I need to go and address those issues, personal issues as well between staff. Uh, you know, say something good, then say the not great stuff and then finish with the good stuff again. Since I start moving that technique and using that technique, I really see that people respond so much better as well to to criticism and constructive criticism and also you know they they try to work with you then like okay i think i see where you're coming from i think i can do this yeah those are like three very practical things that you know from the leadership uh, teams i i hope i'm trying to manage to implement okay great lilo what about you yeah i think uh for me the first thing in being a good leader is that you you have to constantly learn you know the learning doesn't stop once you become a leader. It actually increases because you have new responsibilities, new roles. So that pursuit of knowledge and constantly trying to learn and be better, I think is critical. Um, number two, I feel like for leadership, you really have to be present, you know, especially nowadays with COVID and people working remotely, you know, it's really easy to just say, oh, well, I'm going to just do things from home or far away. I think just physically being present and always like meeting with the people who work for you and just showing and leading by example is really important. And number three, I think, you know, for to be a good leader, I think ultimately you kind of have to just commit and execute. It's not all about talking and sort of showing the way like you really have to kind of execute the mission that you're going so just kind of having that management plan of milestones and uh, meeting sort of deadlines and really trying to get things done is also important so for me those were the three that I feel like I've tried to practice more and more especially during COVID. What would be one new professional skill you would like to learn or work on and what about one new personal skill that you would like to work on sure so i think one thing that for example i want to learn a bit more is about sort of the business side of commercializing your technology and product because i teach innovation so i get questions about that from doctors and researchers because that's an area that we're not taught right like the financial side the regulatory side, the IP, like sort of things outside of our expertise, which is preclinical and human studies and things like that. So I've been really fortunate to tap into the resources that Harvard has. I mean, I joined the Harvard Biotech Club. I joined the GSAS Business Club, and they offer some really great courses and seminars. I did a mini MBA course, which was taught by Harvard Business School professors that was offered through one of those clubs. I took some uh, seminars on commercializing your work. So, you know, it's not like going to business school, but I think for somebody who has another career, who's busy with kids and work that they're already doing, this is a great way to sort of learn 
what's on the other side, um, because I think as clinicians and researchers, we need to understand like what does the product have to have to succeed in industry and the market side. Having it solve a small problem might not be enough, you know, for you to find, let's say, investors who are willing to put millions of dollars to take on that journey with you. So understanding that aspect will really help guide your work that you're doing on the research side. So that's one thing that I'm trying to focus on learning. Do you have any personal skills? So I read this book, um, How Will You Measure Your Life? It was written by Clayton Christensen and some other author. And it really made me think about how am I spending my time? You know, like, because we all say, oh, our family is important. Time with our kids is important. But then, like he says in that book, but then when you really sit down and you log in, really like write down how much actual meaningful time you spend with your family or the people you say are important to you. You realize it's not that much. And then he says, but, you know, but when you say, like, you have to match what your priorities are with what you're actually doing. So that really made me sort of stop and step back and decide, like, finding ways of really spending time with my kids. I have an eight-year-old son and an 11-year-old son. So I decided that I'm going to be more involved um, with what they're doing. So I became interested in becoming a coach. So I started coaching his soccer team. And this week, actually, I started now coaching the basketball team. So like personally, I'm trying to, you know, become a better parent and be more involved with my kids. And that's my goal to kind of find ways where we both benefit. (laughs) Yeah, but you're also like exercising some of those leadership skills as well being the coach right as well you know it's it's harder than you think like you think well like what you just tell like this kids to just run around and follow what you're saying and then you realize wait a minute like half the group is not listening the other half is like engaged in some other activity and it's like such a good way to exercise your leadership skills and uh you know it, they're definitely being tested with this group of 11-year-old boys with high energy. <laughs> Funny. My husband was a, a coach to three-year-olds last year, including my daughter. And that was the same issue. So it seems it doesn't really improve with age. It's like, talk about herding cats. But I mean, like, little, like you got 11-year-olds? Oh, my God. I came with everything prepared. You know, soccer, I had never played. So I just, like, kind of was winging it. But basketball I played so like I really made this plan and everything like going go through everything with them after five minutes I saw like they're basically checked out like they're gone I was like okay that's it I need to stop and we need to do some drills (laughs) so you have to be able to change your plan you know as you go because they don't have a attention span more than five minutes and uh, no it's been really fun and interesting so we'll see where it goes Asia, what about you what a, what's a professional skill you would like to work on and a, and a personal skill as well one professional skill or something that i want to get involved with a little bit more is actually the uh, clinical side of my research uh so actually going to kind of clinical trials just 
you know, seeing how that is and, and uh, what, what is the next step of the work that I do in the lab. And so a little bit involved with that. That's something I just want to follow to personally learn. I did pre-med and decided not to go to medicine uh, and do research, but that, that always interests me still. So and I think I have opportunities to do that now. So that's the kind of something I'm interested in to, to follow and develop my uh, career a little bit towards a skill that I really want to learn. And I think Lilith mentioned it too, is time management something I've actually been putting on my you know yearly uh, meetings uh, career developments all the time it's just it still feels like I'm still backing and still behind with that and uh, and that I think is both for professional development and professional and, and personal and kind of tying going into more personal if I get better at my time management, I really want to go back and do yoga again and take the time for it and be better at it because I very much enjoy it. And it also grounds me uh, something that I know that I'm actually better at, you know, being a manager, being a, a, a parent. Yeah, I, I love yoga. I do yoga like at least two to three times a week. Time management is 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 definitely something where where it always feels like it's something that you can get better at. I often think like back in the day where were people like my mother, my mother's a physician. So, you know, was she actually even thinking about time management when she was working and her family or whatever? You know, it's like, was that actually an issue then? Or is it now because of there's so many more competing demands? I'm, I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. Uh... And, and I think she was probably doing a really good job since you are actually wondering whether or not, you know, she was just being so relaxed and awesome. So she's, she was doing great, I think. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give this podcast for her to listen to. So. <laughs> Lola, what about you? I, I think, you know, it's, it's really hard for women because naturally all the childcare responsibilities fall on us. And I'm sure it was much more when your mom was going medical school and doing now there's a lot more shift towards trying to share it you know with our partners husbands uh, and kind of also there's acceptance of being able to hire nannies and help if you could afford that you know that has been a game changer for me i mean i have a full-time nanny my husband is also a physician he works a lot he's not around that much so i have to take the kids to all the doctor's appointments, you know, all the teacher meetings, all the activities, but I have now a nanny that could help with parts of that. I mean, obviously she can't go to the doctor's appointment and all those things, but at least some of the nearby activities or picking them up and bringing them home and waiting until I get home, that is a huge help. I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have that help. That, I mean, is very, very clear. And I'm very fortunate also to be able to afford that because not many people could afford that, you know? So that's something that I think we all need to address, you know, especially for female postdocs who do want to have families, who do want to continue their careers. It's just hard. And that's one of the reasons why most of them are leaving academia and going to industry. Time management, is always an issue, especially when you're trying to do multiple different careers. You know, you want to see, be a doctor, you want to be a physician and scientist, and you want to be a mother. You know, you have to be able to find time to put all those into your day. 
I'm not always someone who who looks at the male female thing in black and white terms, but there are times when I go, do men view the time management aspect of things the same way? Yeah, I wonder um, if I may, because I have these discussions with my husband all the time. He's also he he has his own biotech company and super busy. And we have two little kids. Uh, we are fortunate um, to also have some help at home, but. You know, what I see, the diff- so he's also very busy. <laughs> uh, and both we, we share our uh, responsibilities at home equally. And I, the difference, I think, is between him and me is that he doesn't stress so much about it. <laughs> As I, I get, like, I'm not only stressing, because, I'm not only, uh, you know, managing the time, but I'm also stressing about managing the time. Whereas I think he is more like, okay, this is what's happening now. This is what I think. He's compartmentalizing more. And I think that's also something that we women do. We we keep this mental load on us uh, where we are thinking about thousands of things at the same time, planning ahead and planning ahead. And and so I, I don't know if it's a, um, it's a gender thing of, you know, putting the time to different spots, but... Um, I feel like maybe men, the way how, how and, and we know that, that their, their thinking process is different. And men are very focused on at-hand at tasks more than women are. We, we were, you know, splitting our attention more. But perhaps that's actually helpful in this case <laughs> to, to be to be a little bit more relaxed about it. But that's, you know, I, this is end of one, let's say, study, <laughs> me and my husband. But I, I do I do also see that with some of my colleagues that they're just a little like, OK, this is what I'm doing now. And I have colleagues who are physicians, MD, PhDs in the lab, actually more, more than half of our lab is like that. So they're so busy and they have families. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They seem to be a little bit less affected, but no, I, I agree with you, Asia. I mean, my my husband is the same thing. Like you know, he he's very supportive. You know, he he when he's home, he's always involved. But his career kind of comes first. You know, it's like he just kind of he says that like it's his job to earn for the family and to you know have a career. I think like also growing up, men always kind of hear that right like like they're the primary although things have changed a lot i mean now every family is two income so it's like not every family but most families um but you know they still have that mindset that they need to be the their primary job as the family person is to bring income have a career and like provide for the family and he also is very laid back like you said kind of about the kids it's like oh They'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. But how are they going to figure it out if nobody guides them or takes them to their appointment or, you know, does the task that needs to be done? Um, so I don't know. Maybe as females, we're just more in tune to trying to be there for the kids and trying to make sure, like, everything's done um, for them. Uh, I just, you know, I feel like I just can't say they could figure it out. Um, but maybe we need to practice that a bit more and try to <laughs> be a little more hands up. I don't know. But for men, I think it's easier to manage their time. I think you need to um, get to yoga. Do you guys have anything else? Because we're well, getting up to time. And do you guys have anything else that you would want to say, say to JCSW members or anybody who would be 
listening to this, you know, any final thoughts that you may have? Just that it's a pleasure. Every time seeing everyone, it's just such a pleasure. And and uh, it's been a great learning experience for me. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, I would just say that engage, engage and network. You know, that's like the power of this great university, right? Like we have so many amazing people here. You're only going to meet them and uh, get to know them by just being engaged and um, being present and also doing your part to create opportunities for people to meet each other. Right. And 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 I just want to say that networking isn't going into a room and talking to as many people as you can. Networking for me, and this was something a JCSW member said to me, they said to me, oh, you're a networker. And I was like, don't be so silly. I'm not a networker. And then she was like, no. Yes, you are, because you just came up to me and said, hey, I heard you, you talking about whatever. Can we meet? And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was networking. So so one of the things is networking is really about meeting. If you go to something and you talk to one person, then that's networking, because the next time you go to something else, you know, hopefully that person will be there. And then now you've known somebody else. And then it just kind of builds up slowly from there. It, it's just sort of showing up and talking to one person is networking. That's what I would say about that. But um, thank you guys. Thank you so much for doing this, for volunteering. Thank you for putting this together. I think this is a great way for people to get to know each other. And it's a, it's actually a networking opportunity for us too, because now I've learned a lot about you and uh, of you, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Mm-hmm.